going back centuries to the Bronze and Iron Ages, an ancient city named Kinneret had sat on the Sea of Galilee's northwestern shore. In the Hebrew era, it was in the tribe of Naphtali, named after Jacob's sixth son. Kinneret's name evolved over many years to become, by Christian times, Gennesaret. And by that name, it appears in the morning gospel reading. In this unlikely, quite mundane place, one day came Jesus, and many who had been ill were, by the powers of heaven, healed. What those healings consisted of What actually happened is unknowable to us. But it is certain that the early Christian community was convinced that healings did occur. Healings were apparently regarded as one of the most visible of the works of the divine spirit, spilling over from the kingdom of heaven into the workaday world where ordinary people like you and me live out our lives. These days, it is more difficult to attribute healings to divine intervention, breaching the so-called laws of nature from a world beyond, than it was earlier because we are influenced to lesser or greater degree by the scientific method and its assumptions. But who among us could say with certainty that the living God could not heal directly or through the hearts, hands, and minds of physicians, nurses, counselors, social workers, and various other practitioners. Denying the work of the living God as healer does seem presumptuous, to put it mildly. I'd like to focus on an aspect of physical illness that prevents, presents a surprising danger for those who suffer. This is illness's potential to strike at a person's identity, indeed, at one's very soul. I believe that Jesus was aware of this danger, and it may have been this that imparted urgency to his healings, retrieved them from being mere magic acts. A person's victimization by serious illness can shift the self to thinking oneself now damaged goods. The occasion predisposing this change in self-perception has been best described for me by the late Dr. Irving Cooper of St. Barnabas Hospital in New York City. 
Cooper alludes to the dystonic people with hideous and involuntary muscle movements and the severely neurologically handicapped. He said, quote, disease lives in that person. It embraces the person, clasps him or her. They fuse to become the diseased hyphen person. The new person, he concludes, may become more sensitive than before, but is never, never the same. What Dr. Cooper saw was that if and when illness or disability strike, it may be attended by spiritual trauma that will not submit to denial. Unfortunately, illness does not promise improvement of either body or soul. Such is the reason why ill people in Gennesaret rushed to Jesus for healing and Jesus himself took the healing ministry so seriously. To all, it seemed that the stakes of the struggle for the soul in face of bodily illness might be strictly infinite in the later words of John Bunyan. I know of only one philosopher, theologian, who has gone to the depths of the illness-attacking identity problem and come back with a strategy for suffering more or less safely. What she recommended was at least implicitly what Jesus was offering to the sick at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. In an essay entitled, The Love of God and Affliction, Affliction translates the French malheur. Simone Weil, in French Simone Weil, described the self-loathing sometimes predisposed by malheur, affliction. Self-loathing, she said, can harm, even destroy, an individual's soul. Miss Wiles said the one thing we can do from the depths of suffering, although it is by no means easy, she admitted, is to attend actively to God or the good. In religious terms, such attention is determined openness to the divine saving grace. By this means, we can, even in the midst of considerable suffering, at least guard our souls. Dr. Oliver Sacks, some years ago, said in an interview, quote, not only has every person 
with an illness or injury a story. And not only are these stories interesting and varied, but they often have a quality of myth, of fairy tale, of dream. What interests me, said Dr. Sachs, is the intersection between fact and fable. And in what appears to be the bleak rooms of clinics and chronic hospitals, I hear sagas, I see victims, I observe heroes, I witness great strivings, and the stories that contain them can be the story of redemption and trust in God. Close quote. People do attend to God or the good, and there does appear to be some efficacy to it. But I close with another story on a less rigorous note. I've always cherished this one since first reading it several years ago. It's about the jazz pianist George Shearing. Shearing, as you may know, had been born blind. And one day, during a busy rush hour, he was waiting at a crowded intersection to be taken across the street. Another blind person touched him and asked if he wouldn't mind helping him across the street. After the 8 o'clock service, by the way, somebody said going out, I like that story about the blind leading the blind, but that's a diversion. Shearing said, what could I do? I took him across, and it was the biggest thrill of my life. And thus, a moment of grace can come to us in our illness or disability. And no surprise to Christians, a joy rolls through us because we are givers again, givers back to life. The sum of all this is that though affliction may come upon us, alas, with all its dangers, even to the soul, the grace of God comes also, as it did upon the barren, dusty, ancient, unlikely town of Gennesaret. And if we are not, in the end, completely healed, we for sure, in our souls, could be made well. And that's worth betting on, and that's worth living for. <laughs>